Welcome to Victory Christian Center. You're about to hear from our senior pastor, Pastor Stefan Schlugel, as he brings a message on a Sunday service. Uh, the theme of this current series of messages is God rewards. Two words, God rewards. Um, and uh, today is the third message in this series. And we are studying the Word of God around God's reward system. It is like a system, if you like. Um, and uh, it is, of course, taught in the New Testament. Uh, I do believe that this is very, very encouraging news for the believer, uh, who, people who are serving God throughout the year. We're talking about uh, people making available their, their time, their talents, and their treasure to serve God. And we highlighted three areas. We're talking about serving faithfully. We're talking about praying fervently. We're talking about giving generously because that's what Bible-believing Christians do. All right. And so the theme scripture here in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10, it says that God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love which you have shown towards his name in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. So the Bible tells us here that God does not forget the things that we do. And we have discovered that heaven has a very, a very detailed uh, recording system where every one of our good deeds is, re is recorded and one day we will be rewarded accordingly. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10 says that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, uh, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. I'm just briefly recapping before we cover new ground, but we said that the judgment seat of Christ here would be better termed the reward seat of Christ because it is at this event uh, that Jesus will reward his saints for the good things that we have done in this earth during our lifetime. All right. <coughs> Excuse me. Said, we said that the judgment seat of Christ will take place after the rapture of the church and it will take bef place before the second coming of Jesus Christ. And uh, God's rewards uh, will be rolled out and enjoyed mainly during the millennial reign of Christ. And I'll be speaking about that uh, in just a little bit. Last week's main points were, with three points, we said that our works follow us to heaven, our good works, that is, um, and it also says that uh, our works will be tested and examined in heaven, and then you and I will be rewarded for the works that will endure or that will remain. Um, and I want to begin this morning by speaking about uh, a time period called the millennial reign of Christ. By the way, what I'm teaching, and for some of you that already had teaching along these lines, uh, uh, you know, I'm reminding you of things that you already know. Uh, when I teach these things, uh, we need to be aware that this is not sort of some strange outlandish doctrine. This is established Pentecostal teaching on end times. All right. And uh, I always enjoy getting together with people, uh, other ministers, people that have a good theological understanding to kind of dialogue around some of these things and, uh, and to compare notes and to, uh, to kind of verify that our understanding uh, of the word is correct. Sometimes people are a little bit daunted by end times uh, and uh, a little bit confused by it. We need not be confused. Um, though I should say that 
for having studied and heard messages on end times now for over 40 years, uh, I am confident to say that I got a slightly better handle on things today than what I had 40 years ago. And uh, even just restudying things again today, I'm getting fresh understanding, I'm getting great insights, and I would like to share uh, some of those things with you again this morning. So the millennial reign of Christ is a future period of time. Uh, we also call it a dispensation, which is reference to a time period. Uh, and this one will be uh, exactly a thousand years when Jesus Christ will physically reign on the earth as king and as supreme ruler over all the earth and over all of its inhabitants. The millennial reign of Christ will take place after the seven-year Great Tribulation. Uh, I personally believe we are not that far away uh, from that. Um, and it will also happen, the millennial reign of Christ will happen immediately after the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now when I say immediately, of course there's other things that will immediately happen when Christ returns. But he is returning to number one deal uh, to the Antichrist and to his armies at the Battle of Armageddon. Um, and uh, he will sift out the wicked from the righteous. Um, and then he will set up his physical throne in Jerusalem, uh, his literal throne in Jerusalem, and will rule and reign on this earth for 1,000 years. That's why we call it the millennial reign of Christ. Mille meaning a thousand. All right. Uh, I want to read uh, the passage of Scripture where we get some of that from. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 4 onwards, uh, and it says, And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast nor his image, and had not received his mark on their forehead or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. How many years? A thousand years, all right. Uh, by the way, we totally believe that this is a literal thousand years. There is no reason on God's beautiful earth for us to consider that to be a figurative statement. That is totally a literal statement, all right. So they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years, but the rest of the dead did not rise again or did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests to God and of Christ, or priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. All right, so just to make sure we understand that uh, God repeats it for us, okay? So again, at the second coming of Jesus Christ, when Christ will physically, literally return to this earth, uh, Satan will be bound for a thousand years and thrown into the bottomless pit. Um, and then Jesus Christ will set up his throne in Jerusalem to rule over the whole earth. And his faithful saints, and this is really uh, the angle that we're looking at things here, that God's faithful saints will rule and reign with him for 1,000 years. All right. Uh, I sometimes, you know, Vanessa and I sometimes dialogue around some of these things, and we sometimes, you know, compare notes, and I might ask a question and get her understanding and, and vice versa. But uh, her and I got saved, and we came in under the end-time message. Um, 
and obviously the gospel, you know, to get saved. But our lives have been marked and we've never been the same since. All right. And uh, so uh, allow the end time message to mark your life and your heart. Uh, I believe it'll do something. The Bible tells us that we need to encourage one another with these things and with these words, especially uh, seeing the day is approaching fast. And of course, that day is then reference to the actual uh, rapture of the church and the second coming of Jesus Christ. So here in Revelation chapter 11, verse 15, and you know, everything we're saying, we need to have scriptural basis for it. It says, and the seventh angel sounded, and they were allowed, there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. All right. Uh, and uh, we may have some time, we may not afterwards uh, as to what that thousand year means and what will happen at the end and what will happen beyond that. Uh, but Jesus Christ will reign forever and ever. Now this announcement here in Revelation chapter 11 verse 15, this is made approximately in the middle of the seven year tribulation period, what we call the great tribulation. All right. And in the middle of that, this announcement is made. But the actual and enactment of it will take place three and a half years later when Christ will physically return to this earth and set up his thousand year reign. And in Zechariah chapter 14, and you know the Bible says that in terms of to interpret scripture, it says, let every word be established in the mouth of two or three witnesses. So once we got uh, a theme being discussed at least twice, possibly a third time, we have a doctrine. All right. So Zechariah chapter 14, verse nine, it says, the Lord will be king over the whole earth. And on that day, there will be one Lord and his name, the only name. All right. Now, if you're born again, he's already our Lord today. But his kingdom is now a spiritual kingdom, and we're in that kingdom, and we're serving him as king. Um, but of course, during the millennial reign of Christ, it will be a literal physical kingdom on this earth. All right? And as it says here, that on that day, there will be one Lord. All right? There will not be, you know... There will not be a lot of these organizations that we got around today, a lot of these presidents and a lot of these people that all think they have a say, and there will be no United Nations, praise God for that. There will be no World Health Organization, praise God for that day. And uh, it'll be Jesus Christ, all right? And the Bible says he will rule the nations with a rod of iron. Okay, it'll not be democracy. He cannot be voted out, and it'll not be a soft touch rule. All right, it'll be a righteous rule. Praise God for that. All right, so let me then talk about point number two in your outline that the faithful saints will reign with Christ for 1,000 years. Second Timothy 2 verse 12, it says, if we endure, we shall also reign with him. Or reign means ruling. It means leadership um, uh, on a, if you like, on a political level. Um, if we deny him, he will deny us. All right, we have uh, a similar uh, deal going on here in Revelation chapter 3 verse 12. This is uh, uh, one of the letters that Jesus dictated to John the Apostle to be sent to the churches. And he says to him, to him who overcomes... Let me just stop right there and say, to him who overcomes, what does that mean? Well, what do we need to overcome? Well, we need to overcome the world. 
all right? We need to overcome our own flesh, all right? Because while we're this side of the second coming of Jesus, we're still in this physical body, and we've still got this flesh to deal with. Uh, that'll be gone at the other end once we receive our glorified body. So we need to overcome the world and all of its deceptive ways and all of its uh, lures and all of its entertainment and all of its... Uh, everything else, we need to overcome the, overcome the flesh and we need to overcome the devil. All right, some of you recognize those three points. We deal with that in our foundation classes. Okay, so to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. What is a throne? A throne is a, is a position, not just a seat, but it is a position and a place from which rulership takes place. And we will be sitting with Christ on his throne. Now, not physically, all right, but there will be, he will have the premium throne and we will have thrones uh, uh, to rule and reign with him uh, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. And sometimes, you know, people's minds get a bit messed up with, uh, with dem democratic thinking. Uh, but in order for us to fully understand this, I believe we need to uh, sort of understand the model of what was around in the Old Testament when they had kings. And then they had different regions that were governed by governors and so forth. And that's really the model that the Bible speaks about more than the democratic model. Because in our democracy, nobody has a throne. All right? These are all elected officials uh, uh, that will be one day uh, voted out and others will be voted in. And I can't wait to voting day. I'm, I think it's time to get rid of some of these people. But, uh, you know, like uh, what's on offer? The news is not that encouraging, all right? So, but anyway, we're talking about something much more powerful here that uh, we who overcome will sit with Christ on his throne. He says, is I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne, all right? And because we know that Jesus physically is seated at the right hand of the father um, in his own throne, the right hand uh, in th that understanding of kings and, and, and king's courts and so forth, it is the position of, of ultimate honor and of ultimate power, all right? And then further in Revelation chapter 2, verse 25, it says, uh, but hold fast what you have till I come. Uh, hold fast what? Well, hold fast your faith. Hold fast your confidence. Hold fast your place of serving God. Don't let the devil... Uh, or an offense knock you out, all right? Um, he says, hold fast uh, what you have till I come, and he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations, all right? The word power here uh, is from the Greek word exousia. It speaks of authority. It speaks of jurisdiction. It speaks of dominion, all right? So if we endure and keep serving the Lord until re He returns, or until we go to heaven, uh, whichever occurs first, uh, He will invite us to reign with Him during His thousand-year reign on the earth. And here, friends, here's one of the things that a lot of Christians don't understand. This is one of the reasons why in local churches we have discipleship going on. All right? We're not just preparing for this life, for the here and now. We're preparing for the future. Okay, and what things will look like in the millennial reign of Christ, where we, the resurrected saints, will reign over nations of natural people who will survive the seven-year great tribulation 
and who will continue to procreate and multiply during Christ's 1,000-year reign. All right, now I know I'm making sort of fairly sweeping statements and we haven't got time to drill down into every aspect of it. But as I said, for those of you that have done our foundation classes, you'll have a better handle on these things because there we also lay out a timeline and we do some visual stuff as well. Uh, but for now, uh, this is our understanding of it, that uh, at the Great Tribulation, particularly the latter part, a lot of people on earth will be wiped out. Uh, they'll be wiped out with natural disasters, uh, you know, God's judgment, there will be plagues, there will be all sorts of things, um, and the world's population will be severely reduced down, all right? Now, I know that we know that they're trying to do that right now, the wicked people, but, you know, there will be another deal going on during the Great Tribulation, and, uh, and what all of that means is that, uh, that at the end of the Great Tribulation, when Jesus Christ will return, he will sift out and send out the angels to remove the wicked from the righteous. And you know, this is where a misunderstanding comes in, where the Bible says that one will be taken and one will be left. And people think that that's speaking about the rapture. Actually, it's not. That is happening at the end of the seven-year tribulation, when Jesus will send out his angels to remove the wicked so that only a righteous seed will remain on the earth. And at that stage, Satan will have been bound for a thousand years. All demon spirits will be barred, will not operate in the earth. It'll be a righteous rule. Um, and the millennial reign of Christ, as I said, if we have more time, uh, there will be universal peace. There will be no wars. That'll be the time when, you know, when they say, beat your, your, your swords into plowshares. You know, there will be no need for instruments of war. There will be no war because Jesus Christ will not allow it. There will be universal prosperity. Uh, but there will be, uh, under the rulership of Jesus Christ, there will be two classes of people. Uh, there will be us, the resurrected saints, who have been faithful in this life, uh, who will be invited to join Jesus Christ to rule and reign over the nations, and there will be the natural people who will survive uh, the Great Tribulation and will be then going on into that millennial reign of Christ. Uh, when Jesus was asked about, uh, you know, about a woman that was married to seven men, and he says, you know, in the resurrection, whose wife will she, will she be? He says, no, he says, in the resurrection, he says, you will be like the angels, that there will be, there will be, no, uh, there will be no marriage and there will be no procreation for the resurrected saints, but for the natural people who will, who will carry on through into the millennial reign of Christ, there will be natural people like you and me today, they will still marry, they will still have children and they will multiply because there will be great longevity during that period. Uh, the world's population will fast increase over that thousand years and one day we might speak about some more about what will happen at the end of that thousand years when Satan will be released for a short period and so forth. But as I said, these are all very well established uh, pieces of doctrine uh, that, uh, you know, the exciting part is when we hook them all together and we get an understanding of a timeline. And particularly so when we have an understanding of the signs of the times today. How close are we? And I was just with some pastors uh, in two different pastors, um, prayer summits just a couple of weeks ago. And again, one uh, of my friends there whom I, you know, uh, respect and whom I look up to, he didn't make that comment again. He says, look, he says, I think 
we're a whole lot closer to all of these things being rolled out than what a lot of Christians realize, okay? So, um, so all of that going on, let me then speak about uh, your faithfulness and mine in serving Christ and His spiritual kingdom today um, in our born-again life, um, and uh, that will actually determine what we do today will determine the level of authority that we'll be operating in in the millennial reign of Christ. Uh, now again, Romans chapter 14, verse 10, where it speaks about the judgment seat of Christ. He says, we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, that each of us shall give account of himself to God. All right? Every one of us individually will stand before the Lord. So if you're born again today, uh, uh, and, uh, you know, we will be raptured, uh, taken to heaven, uh, in the not too distant future, I believe, uh, and then at some point during that seven-year period when we are in heaven, um, will be this event called the judgment seat of Christ or the reward seat of Christ, um, and each of us shall an, give an account of himself to God. Uh, so we have to answer for ourselves, uh, uh, and sometimes we summarize these things uh, with three words that all begin with T. What, what did we do with our time? What did we do with our talents that God has given to us? And what did we do with our treasure, uh, you know, in regards to how we handled our money and so forth? Uh, that certainly summarizes uh, uh, as to what we will give uh, an account uh, of ourselves to God. Now, I want to read to you from Matthew's Gospel, uh, chapter uh, 14. Uh, 25 rather, Matthew chapter 25. I'm going to read to you the whole parable here called the parable of the talents. It's a lengthy reading, but I, I believe it is important that we read the whole thing and then we make some comments after that and hopefully tie it all together uh, into a fairly thorough understanding. So uh, Matthew 25 verse 14, for the kingdom of heaven, uh, this is Jesus speaking. He says, It is like a man traveling to a far country and called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Now, by the way, this word talent here is not uh, the word talent that we might use today when we see somebody that's very gifted. We say, oh gosh, what a talented person they are. Now, this talent here is a unit of, uh, of gold or silver, a particular weight, and it has a particular value. All right, so that's what that is. He says, verse 16, And he who had received the five talents went, uh, and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug it in the ground and hid his Lord's money. See, this is money. This is uh, value, uh, uh, if you like. Um, verse 19, And after a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. All right. Now, of course, after a long time, uh, this is reference to the second coming of Jesus Christ. All right. And since the day that he went to heaven 2,000 years ago, it has been a long time, hasn't it? All right. After a long time, he will return um, and, uh, and settle accounts with them. And he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I've gained five more talents besides them. 
What's interesting here about this point is that this man knew exactly what he had received and he went and traded with that money and doubled the talents. He knew what he had received and he knew what he presented back to his Lord because it wasn't his own money. Uh, it was his Lord's money. All right. And he presented that to him uh, on the day of accounting, on the day of reckoning. Um, Verse 21, his Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And he also, who had received two talents, came. And he said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I've gained two more talents besides them. And his Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a, a a few things, I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Faithful over a few things, the man who had received five talents, I need you to know that it is a substantial amount of money. All right. And uh, in other words, there's a worth, there's a value there. And if you and I consider um, all the time that we have at our disposal, the gifts and the talents that God has given to us and all the opportunities that are before us, there is a substantial gift that God has given to us that God wants us to employ and that God wants us to use to help to strengthen God's kingdom in the earth and to help to extend it further. All right. Uh, and again, I, as I said before, sometimes Western thinking and democratic thinking messes up our minds a little bit. But, you know, in Jewish times, uh, and this is what's spoken into uh, in Jewish times, uh, when the Bible speaks about servants and it speaks about their master and even speaks about a father and a son, sons always served their father. There was never an option about that. They never thought not to serve their father. Okay. Now, how t sometimes we can have Christians today who are sons, but they got a sort of a democratic thinking about them. They, they see no need to serve their heavenly father. That's kind of, that's probably one of the strangest concepts that I've ever come across in all of Christianity. All right. Uh, we're so grateful uh, that God has saved our lives. We want to do nothing but help wherever we can and use our time, our talents, and our treasure to help to advance the kingdom of God in the earth and uh, to do what we can uh, uh, towards all of that. So, verse 24, then he who had received the one talent came and he said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you had not sown and gathering where you had not scattered seed. And I was afraid. And he went and he and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I had not sown and gathered where I had not scattered seed. But you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received uh, back my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he who has, that he may have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he does have will be taken away and cast this unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There will be reaping and gnashing of teeth. All right. Um, now, this is quite a, um, a comprehensive uh, teaching here that Jesus is bringing uh, to the people. It's been recorded for us so we can have this teaching today. Um, 
We call it the parable of the talents. Over in Luke's gospel, we hear Matthew's gospel. Over in Luke's gospel, there's a very similar uh, parable, and it's called the parable of the minas. Now, mina is another amount of money, okay? And uh, if we put those two um, talents together, we come up with a fairly comprehensive understanding of what the future will look like when we get into the millennial reign of Christ. Because remember that day of reckoning, that day of accounting, having to give account of ourselves, that will take place in heaven. During the seven-year period, uh, uh, what's called on earth the Great Tribulation, we will be in heaven. We're going up in the rapture, and we're coming back at the literal second coming with Jesus. He will come with his saints. The first time at the rapture, he'll come for the saints. The second time, he will come back with the saints. All right, these are these two different events. Um, and uh, the, the reward seat of Christ, in my reckoning, will take place towards the latter part of the seven-year period called the Great Tribulation, because out of that period, there will be Christians that will come out, people that will get saved, um, many of whom will be martyred. They will be included at this event at the reward seat of Christ. All right. And then uh, just a little bit after that, we will come back with Christ when he sets up his literal reign on this earth, and that's when the rewards will be rolled out. Okay. So it's like, you know, God rewards us now. Um, what we sow is what we reap. We, we sow good things. We reap good things in the here and now. But that the reward seat of Christ will take place in heaven is speaking about future rewards that will be rolled out during this period called the millennial reign of Christ and, uh, I believe, beyond. So, the man traveling to a far country represents Jesus Christ. Uh, Bible scholars are fairly much in agreement across the board that Jesus, when he told that parable, he was speaking about himself. And actually, if we had enough time, we will go back uh, at the beginning of these parables, go back to the previous verse. And the Bible says there that when they entered into Jerusalem and his disciples thought that the kingdom was going to appear immediately. All right. So they're traveling into Jerusalem and the people received uh, Jesus as the king. Remember, they laid out palm branches in the streets and, and so forth. And Jesus is riding in there as the donkey and said, Hosanna to the king of David. Hosanna to the king. Uh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they thought, this is it. <laughs> they thought that Jesus is going to lead the revolt against the Roman government and that he's going to overthrow Herod and all of these other wicked rulers that were there. And, uh, and they thought it was going to happen immediately. And just to help them with their understanding, Jesus rolls into the parable of, <laughs> of the talents and over in Luke's gospel and the parable of the meanness to describe to them to say, hey guys, actually, I'm going on a long journey. And I'm not coming back for quite a while. Okay. Uh, furthermore, and I know we're bouncing around a bit, but you know, the, the period, the... the uh, dispensation, that's <laughs> what I'm looking for, the dispensation that we're in right now. And by the way, in terms of my uh, 
interpretation of Scripture. I'm a dispensationalist. I do believe in six or seven, eight different dispensations. We got, haven't got time to list them all, but that is one of the premises of how I approach interpreting the Scripture. The dispensation that we're in right now, it's called the church age, the, the age of grace. That will end at the rapture of the church. All right? Um, and and the church age was not understood when Jesus was on the earth. Um, and the church age was a revelation, including the rapture of the church, was a revelation that God had given to Apostle Paul. And he writes about it in his writings, in the letters, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and on from there. All right. So when these guys are traveling with Jesus into Jerusalem, they thought, this is it. All right, and now 2,000 years later, it's still not it, but it's very close. All right, and uh, so as I say, uh, I think it's exciting when we start to get a handle on, I mean, Vanessa and I were excited about end time teaching the first day we heard of it. But, you know, each time we get a bit more understanding and, we, and, and God helps us to, to sort of string the pieces together a bit better with a greater clarity, it gets more and more exciting as you go. All right, so, so the man traveling to a far country represents Jesus Christ. And the gifts or the talents and the goods that he delivered to his servants, they represent our, our gifts, our talents, our skills, our resources that God has given to each believer. And as we've said before, you know, people that are very gifted and people that have got more resources than others, uh, Jesus says, to whom much has been given, from him much will be required. All right, so, uh, and uh, in verse 15, it speaks about uh, the journey uh, that this uh, uh, man ran on. That is representative of Jesus' ascension to heaven. Jesus went to heaven 2,000 years ago, and that's the journey that this Bible, uh, that the word here speaks about. In verse 15 then, the first two servants who had received talents, one five and the other two, it again represents the believers who have put their gifts, their talents, their skills, and their resources to maximum use by faithfully serving in God's kingdom, each according to their own ability. And then in verse 19, it says, The Lord, who returned after a long time, to settle accounts with them, this represents Jesus Christ at the reward seat of Christ, at the judgment seat of Christ, when we will all appear before him to give an account of ourselves. All right? Um, and uh, verse, you know, that settling of accounts. Uh, then verses 21 and verses 22, both the first and the second servant had doubled their talent, or their talents, and were given the same commendation. Exactly the same, verbatim, word for word, and here are the words. Uh, the master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Now, when I'm speaking about God's rewards, um, Personally, I'm not overly motivated about what I'll be doing during, exactly what I'll be doing during the, millenn the millennial reign of Christ. That's sort of not sort of my motivation. 
because people said, let's teach everybody about rewards so that people give it a bit extra in their serving today. Wrong motivation. We serve the Lord because we love Him and because we are very, very grateful. And what motivates me, friends, and I'm sure that you will be the same, I want to hear those words. I want to hear, well done, well done. I don't want to be one of those when it says over, is it uh, in Thessalonians, where it says that, uh, that at the second coming of Christ, some believers will be ashamed. It's like, oh, gosh, you know, all these opportunities lost, all of these. It's to, to serve God in the here and now, it, it now is the time to, to, to give it heaps, all right? Uh, to serve the Lord in the heat of the battle. You know, serving the Lord in the millennial reign of Christ, it'll be easier because there'll be no devil. There'll be no opposition. There'll be no flesh. There'll be no thing that will push against us as it pushes against us today. There'll be no unrenewed mind hassling us. There'll be no demon spirits. There'll be none of that. All right. The time to give it heaps in serving God and praying fervently and to give, you know, generously towards the work of the Lord, the time is now. All right? Let's give it heaps, friends. And let's look forward to the day when we stand before the Lord on the day of the judgment seat of Christ in the heavens where he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. And sometimes people say, well, I haven't got all that much. You know, I can't really do all that much. In God's eyes and in God's perspective, whatever He's allocated to you, it is substantial. Do the very best that you can with it. All right? Don't waste time. Time is a resource. And once a minute is spent, you can never get that minute back. All right? And then similarly, in terms, of, uh, in terms of how we're handling our finances today, honor God with your tithe and with your offering. Because once that dollar that's in your hand, uh, once that's gone, that dollar you can never get back again. All right? You have to earn a new dollar. All right? So let's recognize the opportunities that are before us in the here and in the now. And let's not in any way be frivolous or slack or lazy like this Last servant that the Bible speaks about, and I'm a bit reluctant to speak about that because, I mean, these are harsh truths, my friend. I mean, they're strong, they're harsh truths, uh, but it will happen just as it has been written. There will not be a soft touch, so to speak, as it were, which is, oh, look, let's just forget about what I said, you know, let's just, you know, we feel sorry for this little guy, just let him do this, let him do that. No, there will be none of that. It'll all be absolutely according to how the Word has said. All right. Praise God. So well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Ruler over many things. Ruler over many things. When will that be? That'll be in the millennial reign of Christ. Ruler over many things. Ruler um, having dominion, having authority. This clearly speaks about positions of authority in the millennial reign of Christ. That will be in proportion to what you and I do in this life, in the here and now. It'll be multiplied. You've been faithful over a few things. I will make you rule over many things. All right, but everybody knows, and math is not one of my stronger subjects, but if I multiply 10 by a few times, I end up with a, with a, with a certain figure. It's multiplied. 
But if I, if I start with 10,000 and multiply that, how many of you know I'm going to end up with a bigger sum? And the same system applies here, okay? You've been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. And then he finished off by saying, enter the joy of your Lord. Those words are an invitation. Enter Christ's earthly millennial kingdom where he will rule for a thousand years and we will rule and reign with him. It's an invitation. Enter. The word enter here is like, you know, you would sort of go get to a door and then you would enter into the room that is beyond that door. And uh, at this point, uh, Christ is uh, not far away from physically returning to this earth to begin that millennial reign. And he's saying, enter, come and enter with me. It's an invitation. Now, not everybody is going to be invited. All right. But the faithful saints will be invited. Enter the joy of your Lord. Now, I want to swing over into Luke's gospel um, as we gradually start to wind down. Um, and this is my, my first closing. We might have uh, another four or five of those, and then we will definitely end. All right, it'll only be two or three. Um, in Luke's gospel, at the parable of the Mina, uh, Jesus was basically describing the same truths with slightly different terms, uh, bringing out a bit more detail. Um, and here in verse, uh, Luke 19, verse 15, it says, And so it was, when he returned, having received his kingdom, he then commanded those servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. All right. And of course, sometimes people sit back and they say, uh, oh, Jesus is coming soon. I'm not doing anything. Uh, I'm just waiting. I'm waiting for Christ to return. No, Jesus says, occupy till I come. Keep trading until he comes. Uh, be ready so that if he were to appear in an instant, you're ready. But do your planning in terms of your, your future planning. So, you know, people say, well, what's the point in going to university if Jesus is coming soon? Well, they thought that 50 years ago. All right? <laughs> and and so, so do all your study, do all your preparation and everything, because none of that will go amiss. All right? You know, buy your house and believe God for, uh, you know, whatever you believe in God for. So, so, so don't slacken off, as it were, and say, well, what's the point? You know, like, occupy till I come, Jesus said. But what really always excites me when I read this part here, that when he returned, he had gone on a long journey. That's the ascension of Jesus going to heaven. And after a long time, he returned, having received his kingdom. Now, it's not in your outline, but we do have a couple of minutes. Let me swing over into... Um, into the book of Daniel. Um, and every time I read that, that really, I think that is just so awesome. The book of Daniel, chapter 7, speaks about the very time when Jesus received the kingdom. And there was a scene in heaven where the ancient, they were in the courts of heaven, and the ancient of days was seated. And the ancient of days is reference to Father God, God Almighty, Father God, He's seated. Um, and uh, in fact, uh, let me just bring that up. Um, in uh, Daniel chapter chapter seven, verse nine. And and Daniel the prophet saw the proceedings that were going on, yet future, but he saw it. He saw into the future, 
And this is what he saw. And I watched, verse 9, till thrones were put in place. And the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow. Oh. And the hair of his head, like white like wool. His throne was a fiery flame, and its wheels a burning fire. And a stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The courts were seated, and the books were opened. But there is a ceremony going on in heaven like none you've ever seen before. And uh, again, there's a few other things going on that Daniel saw. And then he said in verse 13, And I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven, he came to the Ancient of Days. So here the courts of heaven are seated. Father God is seated in a throne. There's other thrones set up. This is a ceremony. There's tens and thousand, ten thousand uh, people gathered around. There's angels. This is like a big deal. And the Bible says now that one like the Son of Man, that is reference to Jesus Christ, he's coming in. And he came to the ancient of days. And then it says, and they brought him near before him. They brought him. Jesus came in and then they brought him before the ancient of days. Now, you know, protocol, uh, your typical Westerner can find it sometimes hard to imagine all of that. But, you know, Maori people totally understand when you go to a marae where there's a gathering, some sort of a who is something going on, you don't just waltz in and rock up at the front door. You wait outside until you're invited in, and then somebody will call you in, and somebody will lead you in. And this is kind of the setting where that it says that they, whoever they are, they brought Jesus to Father God. They brought him to the Ancient of Days. And then, verse 14, to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. There's no such thing as a believing without serving. In God's mind, it does not exist. All right? That everybody should serve him, and his dominion is an everlasting dominion. It'll not pass away, and his kingdom, the one which will not be destroyed. You know, they, they talk about the Third Reich, and there's this uh, weasel of a guy running around now that's speaking about the Fourth Reich and the Fourth Indu Industrial Revolution and so forth, that they're setting up this utopia. It's all nonsense. There's only one kingdom that will carry on, and that is the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Okay? So anyway, I don't know about you, but that really spins my wheels like, I think, oh, this is just awesome. This is just so fantastic. And I would imagine, uh, I can't say this with certainty, and this is just my opinion, uh, but, uh, but I think throughout eternity, certain things, I think God will give us an insight and give us a, 
a, a visual understanding of what took place at certain times, certain monumental things that took place. Now, as I say, I can't substantiate that with scripture, but, uh, you know, we think we're so clever because we've got video recorders today. Well, what do you think heaven has? All right. In terms of heaven's system of recording things is way beyond where we could even imagine where our technology might go, uh, you know, if Christ were to, you know, uh, were to tarry and not come back for, for a long time. So I, I think uh, this is an opinion. I think we will be seeing that event uh, by the time we get to heaven. It, that'll, that will have already happened. But I believe we will be seeing that at some point uh, just to see what exactly took place when Christ received his kingdom in heaven. All right, and I'm coming back again to Luke chapter 19, verse 15, because I kind of felt that that just fits in so well. That when he returned, having received the kingdom. When was that? In Daniel chapter 7. That's where he received the kingdom. Uh, and, of course, we have already heard in it's, it's, uh, Revelation chapter 11. It says that, uh, you know, all the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Christ and of his Lord, and he shall reign forever and ever. All right. Um, and uh, he commanded those servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know how much they've gained. Verse 16, then he came to the first saying, uh, then came the first saying, Master, your mina has earned ten minas. And he said to him, this is the master, which is, you know, a representative of Jesus Christ. He said to him, well done, good servant, because you are faithful in a very little, have authority over ten cities. All right, when would that be? The millennial reign of Christ. There will be cities. There will be nations. There will still be different people groups. There will still be ethnicities uh, as we have today uh, and, and so forth. Um, it says, have authority over ten cities. And to the second, uh, when he came saying, Master, your mina has earned five minas. Likewise, he said to him, you also be over five cities. So you see the correlation. Ten minas, authority over ten cities. Five minas, authority over five cities. There's a major multiplication from, you know, minas from a certain value of money to having that level of authority in the millennial reign of Christ, because whatever we give God, he will multiply. All right. But nonetheless, there is a correlation. It is in proportion to what we do today. So, the rewards that will be allocated to God's faithful servants at the judgment seat of Christ very clearly point to positions of authority in Christ's millennial kingdom on earth. Now, the third servant in both parables did not produce anything. And he even blamed his master for his own laziness. I mean, this is like incredible. He says, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man. See, Jesus is not a hard man. He's a merciful God, all right? This guy completely is just all messed up, never did anything. He buried his money. And when the master came back, he sort of dug it up again and says, here's what's yours. Give it back to him. So he never produced a thing and even blamed his master for his own laziness. He was denied entry into, into Christ's kingdom and was instead cast into the outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, on that point, 
the Bible scholars are a little not entirely in agreement as to what that will exactly mean and what that will look like. But one of them specifically said that this servant turned out to be uh, a pretend believer. One of those false brethren that we spoke about, you know, some time back, who's not truly born again. And because not being truly born again was not grateful, was not thankful, and didn't do anything, and it all showed up at the end when everything was summarized that he had done, that he hadn't produced an ounce towards anything, and not only that, but he accused God of his own uh, laziness. And, uh, and of course, what's concerning here, this is what concerns me, that in, in Matthew's account, uh, the master calls him, you wicked and you lazy servant. Now, if I were to sort of think about this and say, would, there, would, you know, would God let lazy people into heaven? And say, well, yes, because salvation, salvation is not by our works. Salvation is by, by faith in Jesus and by faith alone. But here's the point, and that's the punchline. Jesus will not let wicked people get into heaven. They must be born again. All right, and this is a concern here that when it says, you know, just take the talent away from him or take the mina and give it to somebody else and he will be cast into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. In my understanding of Scripture, there's no place in heaven or nor in the millennial reign of Christ where there's a place called weeping and gnashing of teeth. All right. So this is, this is like, you know, fairly strong reality here, friends, uh, and uh, I can only encourage everybody in terms of, you know, when Jesus says, you must be born again, get born again today, for goodness sake. Because when the rapture of the church takes place, it'll not be pretty on the earth for seven years during the great tribulation. It will progressively get worse. And of course, one of the mechanisms that they will use that is called the mark of the beast that the book of Revelation speaks about uh, in chapter 13, where no one is able to buy or sell except they have the mark of the beast on their right uh, uh, hand or in their forehead. Well, that mark of the beast, what we've had with the COVID pass, the COVID pass was a forerunner of that mark of the beast. They're just getting their te technology ready. All right, and of course, the next thing that they will bring out, and that'll be another message in the new year, the next thing that they will be bringing out is that whole digital currency where everybody will have a digital ID. We'll have digital currency. Uh, anyway, I'm, I don't want to get too far into that. That's, as I say, another message for another day. But get born again. Get born again fast and serve the Lord with all of your might. Thanks for watching Victory Christian Center. For more content, please subscribe to our YouTube channel or you can subscribe to our podcasts on Spotify, iTunes or Google Podcasts. Check out our website at victory.net.nz. We'll see you again soon.